today's scripture comes from Luke 22, verse 39 to 46. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he arose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Stephen, for reading that for us. Um, if you've been with us for some time, you know that we've been going through the Gospel of Luke for 11 months. Uh, today is part 48, okay? Uh, by the time we finish, we'll have spent 52 weeks, a whole year in Luke. Uh, we will have known Jesus in a way that we did not know him a year ago. Um, and honestly, as a pastor, my dream is to go through all the books in the Bible. Uh, I haven't done the math and to see if I'll be around for that, but... Uh, uh, this is the philosophy of our uh, preaching ministry at Risen, right? We want to go through all the books of the Bible uh, to learn from the diversity and the entirety of God's wisdom. And we want to do that together, right? We don't want to just have like this little group that's doing it by themselves. We wanted to do it together. Um, so for the past month, now, it's been all about Jesus' last night. Past month, that's it. We've learned of Judas' betrayal, Jesus' last Passover dinner with his disciples. And today we're going to learn of Jesus' prayer in the garden. It's another iconic scene, right, from the uh, passion of Jesus. And the word passion doesn't just mean emotional, right? It's, it comes from the uh, Latin word, passus. And do you know what that means? It means suffering. So the passion of Christ, it describes uh, the suffering of Jesus on his last night. That's what's happening here. We're going over the suffering of Jesus. So here are the three things we're going to look at in our passage today. First, we're going to take a look at Jesus' pain. Then we're going to take a look at Jesus' prayer. And then lastly, we're going to take a look at some application and, and some of the things that we can learn from this passage that we can take away and apply to our lives. So first, let's talk about Jesus' pain. Now, it doesn't say this in our text, but in Mark's gospel, the very first words of this account uh, Jesus says, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. That's what he says. My soul is very sorrowful to the point of death. And this word uh, sorrowful, it's, it's easy to read this without understanding what is actually happening here. This word for sorrowful, it actually means despair. Uh, it's a word for depression. Jesus is being filled with hopelessness and depression here. Jesus has been talking about his death since chapter 9. Right? Didn't he know this was going to happen? What, what, what's, what's, what's happening here? 
you know, before my son Luke came into the world, uh, many parents shared with me their difficult stories of their labor and delivery. Long labors, emergency C-sections, right, uh, life-threatening scenarios. And, you know, it'd be over a barbecue, and I'm drinking a beer, and, you know, I'm just listening to this nonchalantly. One father told me that his wife's labor was so difficult that they had him sign a waiver, and he had to choose just in case the doctor could only save either his wife or his child. You know, I'm listening to this. I'm aware of this. I'm thinking that I'm understanding of what's going to happen in the next couple weeks of my son's delivery. And then when it happens, that's exactly what happened in Luke's delivery. They asked me to sign a waiver. I'm standing there, frozen, with a clipboard and pen in my hand, feeling hopeless, afraid. I've never felt shaken like that in my life before. You see, there's a difference, isn't there, between knowing something, you know, and then actually encountering that experience. Head knowledge can acknowledge and assent, and, and you can try to understand, but it's only when you encounter that experience, right? It's only when you've been through that that you, you know that experience in the soul, you know? And that's why, you know, like uh, we've got several pastors, kids in our church here and some missionary kids, and, and there is this connection between them and me. <laughs> uh, th- th- there's going to be this connection between them and Luke. You know, like you can know when you're in it, though, it's different. There's this bond that happens. And so that's what, what's happening here right now, and it's the first time that we see Jesus sort of waver. We've never seen him shaken, uh, shaken like this before. It's, he's the second person in the Holy Trinity. It's God himself. In all his life, Jesus was in control. Could you imagine that? Nothing ever surprised him. Jesus always knew what was going on. Nothing ever shook him. I remember of that um, Black Panther scene. I love that movie. And he says, I never freeze. (laughs) That was Jesus. He never froze. But he's staggering now. It's causing him to undergo a great depression. I don't know if you've ever uh, gone through any kind of depression, and, and there was a time in my life when I had, and man, you can't even get up. It's, it's the strangest thing. Nothing is wrong with your body. You've slept maybe 12 hours, but you just feel it's so heavy to get up, you know? That's what's happening to Jesus here. Now, wh- why is he so depressed? Let's talk about this. In verse 42 here, uh, Jesus says, Father, if you are willing, would you remove this cup from me? That's what he says. If you're willing, remove this cup from me we got to dissect this a little bit because we're about 2,000 years removed from this context. And in ancient times, a cup, it symbolized a consequence that you reap. That's what it meant. You know, we say, hey, you reap what you sow. Hey, what, uh, what goes around comes around. That's what we say back in the day. They said, you're going to have to drink your cup, bro. <laughs> the cup is coming. The cup is coming. If it were uh, good things, then the cup, the cup was like a blessing, you know. Like, uh, you know, um, your reward, you know, um, paying your dues. If it was a bad thing, the cup was a curse. The Old Testament, the cup of wrath, symbolized a person's just due for their sins. So the cup that Jesus is referring to here is the cup of God's wrath. That's what he's talking about. 
Now, maybe you're thinking, you know, I thought, I thought God is a God of love, man. I came to church today, and, and I wanted to be inspired, and I wanted to hear about love. I don't want to hear about wrath. <laughs> I don't want to hear about, you know, um, you reap what you sow. Um, I think that's a common thought. You know, when we sort of hear a sermon like this, I, I think, though, that is a false dichotomy. It's not either or, because I think if we want a loving God, we have to have a God who cares enough to get angry, don't we? To get wrathful. Just think about this. You and I, how we get angry, not because we don't have any love, but actually because we love. Right? Have you noticed that the more closely and deeply that you love someone in your life, the angrier you can get. When you see those you love being harmed, you get mad. When you see those you love walking astray, you get mad at them because you actually care. Your sense of love and anger are actually activated together, not in opposition. You cannot be a person of love if you are not willing to get angry. Because if you don't get angry when people are getting hurt or when people are hurting others, that means that we don't care, doesn't it? We're apathetic. We're indifferent. We don't love. But if you care about love, you care about justice, you get angry when you see justice and love trampled upon. It's not either or. That's a false dichotomy. The two actually are inseparably intertwined. So if you and I act like that, then it's consistent. We should expect God. We should expect God to be perfectly loving and also perfectly just. We should expect him to get angry sometimes. See, the Bible tells us that God loves everything he's made, and that's why he gets angry when anything or anyone is destroying the people in the world he loves. Very simple. So if God is loving and good, he must get angry, angry enough to do something about it. But we have a problem, and we've talked about this before. We want justice, don't we? But at the same time, which one of us can stand before God before his perfect justice? And this is what stumbled Jesus. Right? He's going to take on our sin. He's going to take on all the sins of the world. He's going to stand in for us before God's ultimate justice. That's scary. It's daunting. It's overwhelming. Just think about this, right? I mean, just think about this for a moment with me. When we think about our own sin... When we think about our own failings, our mistakes and regrets, right, that can make us depressed, doesn't it? Like I was, I was walking the other day, um, you know, and uh, my, my in-laws are here and, I, you know, my sister-in-law, she saw me talking to myself. She's like, what are you doing? And, you know, I was like, I was just replaying the, some of the dumb things I did in my life. You <laughs> know, That's literally what I was doing. I was like, why did I do that? My gosh, I shouldn't have done that. She's like, what are you doing, right? Like, it's, cause, it's, like, it's just tormenting me. And I don't want to think about it too long, but even in that moment, I didn't even know I was doing that. Right? But that's how much it was just tormenting me. Seeing how our sin affects others, right? The, the conflict it causes, it makes our, our soul sorrowful, doesn't it? The reality of life, the reality of every person is that we have a messiness to us. That's just the reality, right? It's this cup of brokenness. And there is no way to deal with this cup of brokenness in any profound or positive or redemptive way outside of Jesus. Actually, Jesus is the only one that could take this cup. 
it's so daunting. It's so overwhelming, right? Like, I think when you and I, when we see each other's cup of sin, imagine we saw all these, like, all our, you know, blowouts and all our regrets. You know, what would we do? We'd probably walk away. Like, I'm, I'm not going to drink that cup. <laughs> I'm going to deal with that, you know? Talk to the pastor. And I'm like, no, 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 talk to your community group, <laughs> right? But Jesus is a loyal friend. He doesn't leave. He stays. He wants to deal with our cup. He's like, I'm, uh, uh, hey, man, we'll work it out. I'm not going to run away. I'm, I'm okay with it. I'll, I'll deal with it. I'm going to show grace and I'll stay. But, that's, but that is not easy for Jesus, and that's why he's going through so much pain. But how does he do this? How does he endure through this, right? How does he endure uh, and, and remain when he sees all our cup of sin, all our messiness? What, what helps him stay? Let's take a look at Jesus' prayer. You know, a couple years back, I had a conversation with someone, and uh, this person had told me they don't pray anymore uh, because God has not answered his prayers. God has not given him the things that he's asked God to give him. So why should he pray? And I think that what Jesus teaches us here, though, is that praying is not just asking God to give us what we want. Yes, Jesus is, honestly, he is desperately asking God to give him what he wants, right? Don't, I don't want to drink this cup. Is there another way out? Is there another way that we can have my brothers and sisters in heaven and I not die? Is there another way? Can we figure this out? Let's, 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 let's revisit this topic, right? He prays, if possible, Father, remove this cup. He's praying to God. He's struggling to accept God's will for him. He's struggling to trust God in the midst of his suffering. But in the end, in prayer, God does not give Jesus what he wants. He does not change his circumstances. He does not take the suffering out of his life. Instead, in the end, in the midst of Jesus' suffering, what does God do? God, it says here that angels are helping Jesus, right? What does God do? God provides Jesus with the spiritual strength to do his will, right? to show grace, to bring in the power of forgiveness for the entire world. It's only through this prayer that Jesus receives the spiritual love and the power of God to endure and not run away from what he knows he needs to do because it's hard, because it's going to hurt him, because it's going to cause him to sacrifice. It's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful scene. Praying. You know, every Monday I take my Sabbath. Um, Sabbath is just the Hebrew word for rest, but actually literally it means stop. Isn't that awesome? God is like, just stop from working. Can you stop, please? <laughs> right? It's the stop from work day. So we need to physically and emotionally, spiritually stop if we want to physically, emotionally, spiritually rest. You cannot rest if you do not stop. It doesn't work like that. You guys take a Sabbath today, right? I have to work today, so... I don't take my Sabbath today, right? I take my Sabbath on Monday, tomorrow. Looking forward to it. On my Sabbath, I take a break from all church-related stuff. I don't um, look at my emails 
Well, when I keep the Sabbath, I'm a sinner, so sometimes I break the Sabbath too. So I understand, I understand the, the stress there. But um, I, I try to, I don't look at my emails. I, d- I even deleted my email app from my phone. But it's funny, I'll just pull up the Google app and Gmail. But, you know, but I, you know, I try. But I take a break from sermon prepping. I take no meetings on Mondays. Um, I don't even try to read, you know, because that will stimulate a, a work ethic in me. Even though I, so I, I always try to read stuff that, is more sort of like, j- I can read, I don't need to take notes, I'm not like, oh, that'll be good for the sermon, or for this ministry, or for that meeting, it's just my time with God, you know, I don't even, s- I, okay, I do spend, I change Luke's diaper, and I bring him to gym, and then, and then I go time with God, I, I can't even be with Luke, right, if my head's not right, if I'm not spending time with God, all right, go to the Hayward shoreline, I go on a walk, and for the past couple years, what I've been doing is not just journaling, I've actually been praying my anxieties, right, praying, what does that mean? Um, you know, what is this crazy pastor talking about? Let me read this here, Philippians 4. This is where I got the idea of praying my anxieties. This is what Paul says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about it. I love this, right? Paul's like, look, do not be anxious. Let, let people know that you're a, a reasonable person. Right? Like, don't be consumed by worry, right? That's unreasonable anxiety, right? Uh, you know, um, um, I was talking to my mentor, and, you know, when I was dealing with some anxiety, you know, and it's always great to have a mentor who's been through it before you, and he shared with me, anxiety is the irrational fear of the worst-case scenario of the future, right? That's anxiety, right? And Paul's like, look, you don't have to think like that all the time. That's unreasonable, right? But in everything, by prayer and supplication, that's asking, asking with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God, right? That's where I got the idea of praying my anxieties. Uh, and the peace of God will surpass all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, right? So, so, so you know, maybe you think you need to be more analytical. Maybe you think you need to have a backup plan, maybe plans B, C, D. What Jesus is saying is that's not going to give you peace, right? Because that's an unending. Life is unpredictable. The only thing that's going to give you peace is my spirit, right? It surpasses all of that. Now, I wish that I can say to you that this is very easy for me every Monday. But before I start my Sabbath, every time it happens like this. It starts, like, starts out like this. I wake up. I go, man, I don't have time to rest today. I don't have time to pray today. Right, my baby's crying. Probably got some emails. I got so many things to do. Maybe I should check in on that person. Maybe I should get a head start on my sermon. Maybe I should finish that book. Maybe I should go to that seminar. Maybe I should respond to that person. All these anxieties, right? I know God has created me to work and rest. I know that's wisdom. I know that God's design is wise and how he created the universe, but I'm faltering. My anxieties, my lack of faith, this cup of my sin is is causing me to waver. So I just got to go. I just got to go. I just get in the car. I just drive to the shoreline. I start walking. I start praying and, and my anxieties to God. And, and, you know, like I say, God, there's a lot of things going on in the lives of your people in my heart. And I just start praying. I start praying for you guys. I start praying for the church. I start praying for uh, myself, for Jen, for Luke, for the ministry leaders. I pray for everything and anything. And afterwards, like clockwork, every single time, I always come out of this with more of Jesus' love for me. 
an overflowing of it to my wife, right, uh, to you. There's more peace in God's wisdom over any uncertainty. Like, just because I don't know how certainly that's going to happen, like, that doesn't wreck me anymore, you know? And, this, and God gives me this power, you know, like this strength, you know. I don't need a second or third cup of coffee. No, God gives me this power to keep loving people, to keep serving him, to keep enduring and believing and trusting that he is good. Right? My circumstances hasn't changed at all. It might get worse. But I'm enduring through prayer. Now, before we move on, I, I just want to uh, dissect this a little more, you know. Um, often what seems to be our deepest desires are really our loudest desires. What do I mean by that? There are deep desires, and then there are loud desires. You know, like when, when you're really stressed out, your loudest desires, you just can't think straight. That's all you can think about, right? Maybe it's a work thing. Maybe it's a health thing. Maybe it's a family thing. That's all. That's all that's consuming you. But when we look at Jesus here in the garden, he has loud desires. What's his loud desire? God, I don't want to suffer. I don't want to die. That's his loud desire. But what are the deeper desires? At the end of his prayer, Jesus says, not what I will, but what you will. What is Jesus saying here? Right? Jesus is saying, your will, God, is the deeper desire. Right? Love, grace, sacrifice, compassion that's the deep don't we want that right like if you if you get into a fight with someone there's the loud desire right your pride then there's the deeper desire right reconciliation peace grace right? jesus is saying i don't want to die that, you know he's saying i don't i don't want to do it it's too hard this cup oh it's just too much it's a headache but jesus says not what i will but what you will he he trying to put his father's desire the deeper desire he's trying to make he's trying to make the cream come to the top right the loudest desire for you and me is to self-protect to anxiously worry right to emotionally snap back that's the loud desire but that's not what we truly want right what we truly want is to think reasonably to trust others to show grace to be committed so, so, so to pray the Father's will and not our will is to say, God, I know what I'm feeling right now emotionally is extremely loud. It's loud. But what is your will here? What would be best for me, for my family, the person to the right and to the left of me? Right? What would be best for, for the glory of Jesus? What is your will here? And this is how Jesus subordinates his loudest desires, Right? to his deepest desires, by, by praying them to the Father, submitting to his will. This is how Jesus endured. This is how he accomplished the greatness of his love on the cross for him. He's like, if I just stay with God's will, with the deepest desires, that's, that's life right there. That's life. Now, I'm just going to end with some application, right? Um, some practical application. And as I was uh, studying this and, and preparing this sermon, three things came to mind. First is the importance of prayer, right? If, if the eternal son of God, the sinless son of God, desperately prayed in difficult times, then, friends, you and I, the first thing we need to do is not act. 
Not react, but pray. You know what I'm saying? Is that saying, check yourself before you wreck yourself? <laughs> we need to pray before we act, before we react, before we fight or flight. Right? Because when we pray, we unite ourselves to the Father's spirit. And, and we remind ourselves of how loving God is and the sacrifice of his son. And man, when you're in that place, when you, when you are in tune with God's love for you in the sacrifice of Jesus, then you know he loves you. Then you know that whatever you are experiencing right now is, is because he loves you. Whatever you don't have right now is because he loves you, not because he doesn't love you. He may be protecting you. And it's only when we're in the center of that will through prayer that we're going to be able to subordinate our loudest desires and the deeper desires come up and continue to live and love Jesus, live for Jesus and love him. So that's the first thing, the importance of prayer. The second thing um, that I think that we should take away is, you know, when we encounter suffering, uh, sin, pain, conflict, we've got to ask, what is God doing here? I know what Satan is doing. <laughs> it's very clear. But what is God doing here? I want to read this uh, passage from Philippians again, uh, chapter 4, verse 8. And this is what Paul says, right? After he tells them to pray their anxieties, he says this. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things, right? That's what, that's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, look, before you even think, before you react, before you fester, which is our loud desires, not our deeper ones. What Paul is saying is, slow down, read the word, and think about these things. Think about what is true. Think about what is honorable. Think about what is fair and just. Think about what is pure, what is not corrupt. Think about what is lovely. Think about what is commendable. Think about what is excellent. That's what Paul is saying. Think about these things. And, and these things is, is part of the Father's will. I'm going to give a, a brief just illustration. Several weeks ago, right, my mom and I, we got into a disagreement on how to take care of Luke, right? It's always something silly, isn't it? Something silly, man. Anyways, you know, uh, she got mad at me because I was arguing with her, and, you know, I was, I was raising my, my voice. But I never raised my voice, <laughs> You know, raising my voice, getting a little heated, you know. It's my son, my one and only son, right? But, um, you know, she just wasn't having it. Got up and left. Bounced. You know, uh, my mom cringes when I tell these stories. My dad loves it because he just loves any time he gets airtime. You know, he's, oh, yeah, keep talking about me, right? Like, yeah, you know, you should put me in every single point. Um, of course, I'm annoyed. She's annoyed. We both think we're right, obviously, it's very tempting, though, right, in that moment for me to demonize my mom, right? Demonize her to Jen, you know? Jen's like, so what did you do, <laughs> you know? Uh, what's your, what, what's, I want to hear her side of the story. It's so easy for me to get harsh with her and to, like, draw stricter boundaries, you know? Stricter boundaries. That's the loud desire. That's the loud desire. What's the deeper desire? The deeper desire. I love my mom, right? She loves me. We both love Luke. We're family. I want us to be gracious. I want us to be empathetic. I want us to be, you know, grow in reconciling. So how can I pursue this cause? Like, I know what the devil's doing, but 
for God's will, how can I pursue this with love and honor, right? With justice and integrity. Because if I do that, and I don't respond to the loudest desires, it's going to be what's best. It's going to take some spiritual maneuvering. It's going to take some Sabbath walks, <laughs> some Sabbath prayers. But that is what it means to be in the Father's will. Right? Lastly, um, I think understanding Jesus' suffering, it puts our suffering in perspective. Some of us have gone through some extraordinary suffering. Much more than the average person. Some of us might be going through it right now. There are things we just don't want to deal with, this cup of brokenness. Maybe there are people we don't want to forgive. And this cup just gets overwhelming, doesn't it? We have desires that can get really loud sometimes. And when I read Jesus' prayer, prayer, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup. Not my will, yours be done. You and I can be comforted. You know, because not every one of us will be able to understand some of the uh, deep sufferings we've experienced. But you can know that Jesus knows what it feels like to pray that prayer. You know, Father, I don't want to do this. Take this away. But not my will, but your will be done. And when we look at Jesus in the garden and we see him suffering, we see him praying, we see him depressed and sorrowful, all so that he could free us from the power of sin, so that he could forever take away this cup of brokenness from us, and bring us into a future glorious life. Man, I, I cannot wait for that life. Do you know that? You know, um, obviously I just had a kid. There's a lot of kid illustrations, forgive me. Um, it's just my life right now, all right? <laughs> but uh, you would think that I would think my greatest phase in my life, I guess, has started. Yeah, but as good as it is, and I was thinking about this as I was writing this conclusion up today morning, like, it's going to be nothing compared to eternity. Do you know that? To a sinless life. To a reunion. To what my family here on earth now is supposed to be like. And will perfectly be like one day. Incorruptible. Sinless and painless. Indestructible. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue to point Luke to that. You know? Like, we're just on a journey. We're not home, and all of this is going to pale in comparison to the weight of eternal glory that awaits us. All of this is only possible because Jesus did not give up in the garden. <laughs> he didn't give in. He drank the cup. Everything seems to be going wrong in the garden, and it's easy for the devil to think that he's won. God is always one step ahead and if God can take this senselessness and tragedy of Jesus' death and he can turn it into something wonderful something cosmically beautiful friends then the same thing shall happen to you and me if we stay within the Father's will 
we can be confident that our suffering is not in vain. But we've got to be willing, we've got to have the courage to pray, Father, not my will, but your will be done. So church, would you pray that with me? Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we come before you and, and we are just learning about the passion of Jesus, the suffering of Jesus. And it's such a sweet place to be because it really symbolizes just how much you loved us. That you were not going to run away. You are willing to stay and, and deal with our cup of sin, our cup of brokenness. And I know that every single one of us in this room has a cup of brokenness. I don't think it's ever going to be done away with till we meet you and, and you will continue to redeem that brokenness in our lives as we continue to trust in you. But help us all to stop, to Sabbath, to rest, to pray, so that we can receive the spiritual power of angels to help us just dig deep into those deep desires, to help us fulfill your will, to help us be a part of what Jesus has done for us. Help us to stay on that path of courage and grace and sacrifice and faith. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.